Well, yes, indeed, if the red did not give it away, today is indeed the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, this is the day when Christians all over the world will celebrate and are celebrating what we read about in Acts chapter 2 this morning. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. We had a birthday cake out on the lawn today between services. Why? Because it is the birthday of the church. I want to make sure that none of us today takes for granted what we're saying about this celebration. The gift of the Holy Spirit, this is what it means, and please listen. The gift of the Holy Spirit means that the very person, the person and presence of God now takes up residence in the life of the born-again, baptized believer. Jesus said it in John 14. We heard it this morning. In John 14, verse 17, he will dwell with you and be in you. Dwell with you and be in you. God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, lives within the life of the believer. And while they were standing, this is how Jesus speaks of it, this gift of the Spirit. While they were staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the gift of the Spirit is so all-pervasive, so saturating, so immersive, so defining that it is like being baptized, drenched in the Holy Spirit. So think about this. Jesus promised that the God who created the universe would reside in us as believers. And that means his presence in us, his presence has the power to transform our lives to the point where we mirror his holiness, his joy, his love, and his victory. And we need that holiness and joy and love and victory today living in post-Christian North America more than any time in my lifetime and probably more, more than any time in the recent past for sure. In a recent and much talked about article in the journal First Things, author Aaron Wren says that since the year 2014, the church in the United States now lives in what he calls negative world. Here's how he's, he defines negative world 2014 to the present. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and the new public moral order. Subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. That's the world we live in today. So our concern this Pentecost morning is where can we find the guidance and courage and perseverance to live consistently, and this, this word is so important, to live consistently and joyfully, joyfully for Jesus Christ in a negative world that is openly hostile to traditional biblical Christianity. Well, here's what I would say. I would maintain that the resources and convictions 
that the church depended upon in the negative world of first century Roman Empire, the first century Roman Empire, are exactly what we need in order to live faithfully in the negative world of post-Christian North America. The Roman Empire of the first century was not happy about Christianity. If you could just take all of the things that Aaron Wren said about negative world and turn it up to 11 in the Roman Empire. And that brings us back to the reading from Acts chapter 2. The coming of the Holy Spirit was the critical and decisive, critical and decisive event that enabled the first church to live faithfully and joyfully, live faithfully and joyfully in a pre-Christian culture. So here is my thesis for today. I don't know if me having a thesis makes you feel good. It makes me feel good. I feel so organized. I've got a thesis. Here it is. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the fundamental equipment to face whatever may come our way as biblical Christians living in negative world. That's good news. Let me repeat it. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the fundamental equipment to face whatever may come our way as biblical Christians living in negative world. And the first thing that the Bible in Acts chapter 2 reveals about the coming of the Holy Spirit is that the coming of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, equipped those first Christians with supernatural boldness. Those first Christians had supernatural boldness. The city of Jerusalem is the place where just 53 days before Pentecost, the civil and religious authorities arrested and tortured and publicly executed Jesus of Nazareth. His bleeding body hanging high on a Roman cross was the pre-Christian negative world way of saying, don't try this at home. This is what we do to people who challenge the system. And every one of his disciples, every one of Jesus' disciples understood that message clearly. In fact, the leader of the disciples publicly denied him three times. He was so cowed, so intimidated by the force of the religio-political establishment. He denied him three times. But that, that very same failed leader, Peter, is the man we see standing before the gathered crowd on Pentecost Sunday proclaiming the risen Christ. How could this be the same guy? Where does that kind of boldness come from? He didn't have it 53 days ago. How does he have it now? How can a person publicly stand for Jesus when that stand is so unpopular that it can actually get you killed? Well, Jesus told them that he would provide them with that kind of boldness. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is before the reading we had this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8. Jesus promised them, he said, but you, you disciples, will receive power. Dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And, of course, most of us probably have heard that the Greek word for witness there is martyros, which is where we get the word martyr from. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
So Jesus said we would be given power so much so that we would be able to witness before an unbelieving world. This is so important because most of us want to be liked and to be approved of. I certainly do. I want to be liked. I want people to like me and approve of me. We want to fit in at work. We want to fit in with our families and at school and with our peers. But following Jesus, this is important now, following Jesus in a post-Christian negative world means, listen, that by definition we are not going to fit in. If you choose to follow Jesus openly in negative world, you will not fill in. And by the way, parents, please hear this. In negative world, if you are raising your children to fit in, you are raising them not to follow Jesus. So raise your children to be weird. It's easier for some of us than others. So how can we keep from wimping out? Well, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit... Boldness is the supernatural, natural consequence. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness is the supernatural, natural consequence. Just this past week, on June 3rd, we commemorated the martyrs of Uganda. On the 3rd of June, 1886, 32 spirit-filled Anglican and Catholic young men pages in the court of King Mwanga of Buganda, which is the country previous to, previously known as Buganda, it's now Uganda, were all burned to death, 32 young pages, all burned to death at Namungonga for their refusal to renounce Jesus Christ. In the following months, many other Christians throughout that country, by order of the king, died by spear and fire for their faith. The Namugonga martyrdoms produced the exact, however, those martyrdoms, the Namugonga martyrs, produced exactly the opposite of what the king had intended. Those young men, full of the power and boldness of the Holy Spirit, walked to their deaths singing hymns and praying for their enemies. It made such an impression on the crowds that watched them give their lives. And they did not die, they did not die slow deaths. They were burned to death from the feet up, lying down, wrapped in reeds. Their bravery, courage, and joy in the face of martyrdom was so impressive to the gathered crowds that the remaining Christians began to have people coming to them, asking them, how do I become a follower of Jesus Christ? And not many years from that point in time, the, the, the gospel spread from the court of King Mwanga to the, throughout Uganda, so much so that today Uganda is the most Christian country by percentage of any country in Africa. Boldness is the supernatural, natural consequence of being filled with the Spirit. We will have courage and boldness. The second thing here I see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural clarity, supernatural clarity. Whatever you say about Peter's Pentecost sermon, you have to acknowledge that it was certainly clear. There was no equivocation or temporizing at all. It was pointed, it was confrontational, and yet it was pleading and inviting. 
Peter clearly proclaimed the good news about Jesus under the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38, we didn't read this far this morning, but Acts chapter 2, verse 38, if you're looking in your Bible. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Couldn't be much more clear than that. And not only was he clear in the proclamation of the gospel, he clearly called out sin. Remember that this is the Peter who was so afraid that he had denied Jesus three times just a few weeks before. Now listen to what that same man says to the crowd. Verse 22, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and following. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to what he says. This is not, this, he's not holding back. This Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The Holy Spirit gives us the clarity to call sin, sin without confusion. You know, one of the things that we struggle with, I certainly do, but many of us struggle with is how do we know what to say? How will we know what to say in this generation? What, what words will we speak to be clear and persuasive? When we are filled, brothers and sisters, with the Holy Spirit, we don't have to worry about that. He gives us the right things to say. When we are filled with the Spirit, we don't have to wring our hands worrying about whether or not we will get our script right. Jesus himself promises this in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. This is a promise uh, Connected to the gift of the Spirit, Jesus says in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, and before supervisors and the HR department and the magistrates, no, that's not in there, but it kind of means that, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the, listen, this is the promise. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, this is an ongoing promise in our lives as Christians. We find it happening over and over again for those of us baptized and, and filled with the Spirit. We find the Lord giving us exactly the right words in exactly the right moment. I mean, just this week uh, past, I was in a meeting, a Zoom meeting. Yay, Zoom. Uh, but I was in a Zoom meeting with one of our church planners in West Virginia. And as we were having this conversation, I just began to have like re- multiple sayings and words were given to me to encourage and offer direction and guidance. And I was thinking, wow, that is so smart. Where is that coming from? It's not coming from me. It's the Holy Spirit giving me words of encouragement and guidance and direction. He does it for all of us as he fills us with his presence. Isn't that wonderful? You know, these men were all Galileans. How can we hear our, the gospel, these mighty works of God proclaimed in our own, 
own languages. They're just Galileans. And finally, when we are filled with the Spirit, there will be fruit. Brothers and sisters, we can count on it. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will see men and women and boys and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ. 3,000 men, that's the men, that's not everybody, so that crowd was much larger than that. And that pre-Christian crowd became believers on the day of Pentecost. How did that happen? Well, this is what it says in Acts 2, verse 37. Again, we didn't read it, but it's in that passage, Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see, it wasn't merely Peter's persuasive words, his boldness and clarity in proclaiming Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit was at work in the hearts of his listeners. We can feel hopeless in the face of this ginormous culture shift that we've been in. And it's not just been since, I mean, 2014 is not even 10 years ago, y'all. The plausibility structures of our culture have changed so profoundly. In fact, I would say that the faculty of reason itself is in retreat in our culture. How do you connect with people when reason doesn't even work? Well, let me tell you something that should encourage us all. Listen, brothers and sisters, the plausibility framework of those devout Jews who gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, that plausibility structure had no place reserved for the idea of a crucified Messiah. That was completely implausible. It was the furthest thing from their minds. Furthest thing from their mind was the possibility that Israel's Messiah would be hung on a tree to die and then be raised on the third day. It was so implausible nobody was thinking that thought. So how in the world did these people come to respond to this unlikely gospel? Beloved, they connected, with, they, they connected with the gospel because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He is the one that brings conviction and the recognition that there is something distant in my life from God. And he's the one who, who convicts me that the way to find salvation is through, through Jesus Christ. I had... A, the, the man who preached the sermon where I gave my life to Jesus Christ, it was okay. I mean, it was, it was pretty good. You know, thinking back about it, it was, you know, it just wasn't that spectacular. But it was the Holy Spirit just penetrating, cutting me to the heart. Saying, I'm calling you now. Respond to my love. So all of this begs the question, are we today operating in the power of the Holy Spirit as we engage our, yes, anti-Christ culture? Well, if not, I want to give you, since we're, most of us, 85% of us are concrete thinkers, the rest of us are pastors. <laughs> here, here, here are some, yes, there's steps, okay? It's enumerated, I'm sorry, but it's going to help you. First of all, you need to know this. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. God wants you, Christian, to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's God's promise to all believers, and it is indeed his command. 
Listen to what Peter said again, Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, and this, is for, this gift is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then St. Paul gives us the command Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess or debauchery. Don't be drunk on wine. Don't be filled up with that spirit. But be, Paul says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. So God wants it for us. And here's the second thing. If God wants it for us, wants us to be filled with the spirit, God loves to give us what he has promised and commanded. He's not going to say, I promise you this, I'm going to, I command you to do this and say, hope that works out for you. He loves to give us what he has promised. This is, again, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says, listen to this. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, have you asked him? The third step in this, I think, is clear that we need to be willing to surrender our lives totally and irrevocably to the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to be filled with the Spirit, that means we need to be emptied of our own selfish ambition. To be filled with the Spirit means he has to take the place of those things of the flesh that would drive us. St. Paul says, gives it a great, a, a great way of thinking about this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I hope these are like memory verses for you guys. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And finally, finally, as we are filled with the Spirit, then we walk in the power of the Spirit as we surrender our desires. Walk in the Spirit is the next thing. As we surrender our desires and plans and ambitions to him on a moment-by-moment basis. If we seek our own way, we are living in the power of the flesh. And we will not have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Paul promises in Galatians 5, verses 16 and then verse 25, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the beautiful thing here is that every Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, we come before the altar seeking the grace of God, the real presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ under signs of bread and wine. We come with our hands outstretched. We're asking for a gift. God gives us faithfully that gift of his presence. What better place to seek to be filled again with his Holy Spirit than at the Eucharist? Jesus is giving himself in this meal, and he will give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We'll repent of our sins. We'll pray for God to come and bless and be with these gifts and be with us as we receive this meal. And he will fill us if we will receive him that way. And if that's not enough, we do have a prayer minister in the back today, Lisa Sharp, who would love to pray with you. 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit anew on this Pentecost Sunday. Wouldn't that be a great, great way to celebrate this Pentecost? And in just a moment, we're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon these waters and into this life of this little boy, Vincent Adrian Amadio. You're going to be famous with a name like that. <laughs> oh, yes, that was Vincent Adrian Amadio. Very famous, well-known for lots and lots of things. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to, as he's bathed in the waters of baptism, that prefigures him being bathed and washed in the Holy Spirit, that he would be grow up in the, in the power and knowledge of the Lord because this promise isn't just for grown-ups. This, is promise, this promise is for you and for your children. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.